All right, we'll get started. Can everybody hear me good? All right. Um, for those of you who are joining us uh, live stream or, or here tonight that uh, were not here last week, I will be doing a very small uh, recap just to try to kind of uh, pull together the uh, segment that we're going to go through in Ephesians tonight. We'll be in um, Ephesians 4, verses 17 through 32. So this will be the next segment of Paul's letter to the Ephesians. Um, and I've titled this one, uh, Put on the New Man. So before I read our text, I'd like to just do a little uh, bit of a review for all of us. And again, before I uh, kind of sum up what we uh, talked about, we had talked, it was very important, just the, the preface is that Ephesus was a letter written by Paul. Uh, some question whether it was his first or second imprisonment, but the point is it was written after his two missionary journeys and his two visits in uh, Ephesus. So he's writing back to the church um, that he spent approximately two and a half to three years with. So as we, um, you know, keep that in mind as we're going through this. So overview, we had talked last time, um, we started in, in chapter 4 and verse 1 uh, about the therefore connecting, uh, you know, textual thoughts from Ephesians 1 through 3 to uh, chapter 4. So Again, this was why Paul was in prison. Um, and, you know, the, the history is, uh, it seems as though Paul was very influential uh, in the church in Ephesus. Like I said, he spent uh, two and a half to three years um, of his life on the missionary journeys, uh, camped out in uh, Ephesus and taught in the synagogues and then talked, uh, taught outside the synagogues. So obviously he would have had a lot of influence uh, within the church, within the people who were coming to Christ at that time. So I just think that's important for us to keep in mind. Also, uh, Paul, we talked about in chapter 4 that he was going to be appealing to the Ephesian believers. He was going to be asking them to do something. And he had pointed back to, um, again, when he said, therefore, he was pointing back to chapters 1 through 3, and he was saying, I, I'm going to be appealing to you to do something. And the reason was because of the uh, God's glorious provisions in chapters 1 through 3. And uh, just briefly, we went through several of them, but some of the things that the Ephesian believers that Paul spent the time developing in chapters 1 through 3 was that they were now accepted in Christ. They were chosen before the foundations of the world. They had an inheritance. He talked about the redemption that they had as believers and obviously the remission of sins. So that's what Paul was pointing the Ephesians to look back to as he was going to be encouraging them of what he wanted them to do. So then when we move to that part, that was in chapter, the beginning of chapter 4, he started out by talking about the unity. He, he said that um, he endeavoring, chapter 4, verse 3, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit. So that was the first thought that, that Paul was encouraging the believers. And, and then we saw how Paul's theme was uh, talking about the one body, obviously talking about the physical body, but he was talking spiritually to the Ephesians that they were one body. 
And then we touched on that there's different members. Every part of the body uh, is important. We talked about some of the members maybe being feeble and that despite their feebleness that they are equally as important to the body. And then we talked about the section where the, uh, the Lord gives gifts to everyone and that the gifts uh, vary in the type of service that they have and in the type of measure or degree of the gift, but that, that that's okay because the body, um, each part of the body needs that uh, to work together and that essentially um, the gifts of the body are for building up the, uh, the church. And then we, uh, I didn't get to fully develop it, but we had talked in verse 16, that was kind of the, our pivotal verse uh, talking about the body's nourishment. And there we had talked that the Lord is the head of the church and he alone sustains his body. But how does he do that? He does that by us, the saints, the parts of the body, when we are exercising the gifts according to the way he has gifted us and where he has put us in place. When we do that, we Um, Each part of the body provides nourishment to the other parts of the body, just like I talked about the human body, how each part of the human body provides nourishment to the other parts of the body, and then if the body is working correctly, it's growing. So we had developed that, that spiritually, that's what um, Paul was uh, exhorting the Ephesians to do. And then we summed up with a, a few applications throughout Uh, throughout the study one being that your body part whatever part of the body you are is is needful it does not matter how feeble to what degree your service uh, is but it's needful and it's needful because you are part of the whole and it's also needful for the health of the body of Christ and then we also talked about uh, Paul had talked about that he had warned the Ephesians to be uh, keep lowliness of mind. So meaning whatever gift you have that um, the Lord gave the gift and it's for His purpose. So um, in no way should any believer think because of the gift that they have um, that you know that should not define who they are. It's a gift that the Lord gives in there to use it for His glory and for the church. And then, uh, again, that each part of the body provides nourishment to one another, thereby the church grows. And you're directly nourishing other parts of the body by you exercising the gift that you have. So that takes us up to the next segment, uh, which is verses 17 through 32. And before I, um, before I read this, uh, I'm going to... I've got probably three or four applications again tonight, but as I read the verses, again, we're reading historical Paul writing to the Ephesians, but I'd really like to try to get you in the mindset of just uh, when I read this whole passage that as though the Lord is speaking directly to you. Because again, if we read this as a historical book and that alone, it does us no good spiritually. Um, it's It's not a jump to say that Paul was writing to the Ephesian believers and encouraging them. We are reading this as we know the scriptures are profitable for our learning. So um, when we read the text here, as you're listening to it, just place yourself in the text as though the Lord is speaking directly to you because you're believers and you have all of the promises that we spoke about in verses, our chapters 1 through 3. So as I read the text, just try to 
be thinking about the application and uh, that to your life as a believer, where you came from and where you are now and where you're going in terms of your walk with the Lord. So I will read verses uh, 17 through 32. This I say therefore and testify in the Lord that ye henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk in the vanity of their mind, having the understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart, who being past feeling have given themselves over unto lasciviousness to work all uncleanness with greediness. But ye have not so learned Christ. If so be that ye have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus, that ye put off concerning the former conversation the old man which is corrupt according to the deceitful lust, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that ye put on the new man which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. Wherefore, putting away lying, speak every man truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be ye angry and sin not, let not the sun go down upon your wrath, neither give place to the devil. Let him that stole steal no more, but rather let him labor, working with his hands the thing which is good, that he may have to give to him that needeth. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be ye kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. So again, this is the next segment of Paul's um, letter to the uh, to the Ephesian believers. And, and notice in verse 17, we have another therefore. And again, I, I'll probably repeat this several times, but we talked about it last time that chapter 4 started out with a therefore, which is basically a cause and effect. So Paul was pointing to verses 1, chapters 1 through 3, and said, because of this, the effect is I want you to do this. Well, we started out this next segment, and Paul is saying the same thing. He's saying, this I say, therefore, and he talks about how we should walk in Ephesians 4.17. So what we have here is he's connecting again two thought segments, the cause and effect. So he's pointing the, the, the cause, he's pointing to what we went through um, Last week was chapter 4, verses uh, 3 through 16. He Again, he talked about there's many members, but all the members are part of one body. He talked about a growing uh, to be mature in the body of Christ, not being tossed to and fro. Remember when we talked about that? And, he, and again, he also talked um, about each part is bringing nourishment to the whole. So that is the, the cause that, you know, that is the text that leads us up to 17. And Paul says, I say, therefore, Ephesians, 
So he's pointing back to what he spoke about in chapter 4, and he's saying, I want you to put on the new man, and that's what we're going to take time developing here. But So he's saying, because of this, the unity of the faith, one body, the gifts that God gives, nourishing one member, um, you know, one part of the body to another so that the whole can grow. He said, because of this, this is what I want you to do. And again, I think it's very important, as I was thinking about this this week, um, there's no specific, like in some of uh, Paul's other epistles, there, there's times when he clearly is writing in such a way that he's saying there needs to be some discipline, some correction in the church. We'll get into uh, some of it today, tonight and then in the following chapters um, at some, a later, later time he talks more about it. But it's, it seems as though he's kind of talking in generalities of what they're supposed to do now as believers, now that they are a new person, a new man in Christ. And I just thought it very interesting because remember I said that he had spent, um, on two journeys, he had spent two and a half to three years with the Ephesians. Now, we are not to esteem one man higher than another, but the people who were believers at the time that Paul was there, they, they literally probably got to hear Paul speaking and teaching, I mean, on a regular basis. So they, they were believers, they were taught by Paul, and they came to Christ. So I, I thought it very interesting because he's writing this letter, I don't, I don't know how long after it, it was that he was in Ephesus for the last time, but the point is he's writing back to the Ephesians and he's saying, okay, this is who you are now in Christ. He obviously did teaching while he was there. He was talking about all of the, uh, obviously, key doctrines of the gospel. So I thought it very, very important uh, just to keep that in mind that he is needing to exhort them, even though he spent all that time with them and taught them. Um, and so it just made me think that, you know, we're, we're sheep, right? Often the scriptures refer to us as being sheep, um, you know, wandering. Um, we go astray, and, and Jesus is referred to as the good shepherd, right? And there's a reason. We are sheep, and we, we have a tendency, whether we know it or not, to stray. And so we need the Lord to guide and direct us. And I, and I just found it very interesting that after all of this time that he spent with the Ephesians, he's taking the time to encourage them again, even after the, the wonderful, glorious provisions that the Lord gave them, that they would know what it is that um, they should do now that they are Christians. Um, I just want to give you an example. Uh, some of you may, may know much more uh, about this than I do, but when I was in Bible college, uh, there was a young man by the name of uh, Christy. Uh, my wife and I were in Bible college in Hungary. And he was a 19-year-old, just God-filled, spirit-filled man, but we'd sit and sometimes talk for hours about the, the Word and, and, and his life. He was literally a pastor, um, and he would he would talk about um, he lived in Italy for a while and then Romania. He'd talk about kind of you know the flock that he would he would be overseeing and and he said it, it's very important. He just 
briefly touched on it, but he said it's very important as a shepherd when your sheep are out there, not only are you protecting them from danger, but he said you have to know where to take them that they can graze, um, to know what grass they can eat. Um, and also he said you, you have to be looking for the sheep because sometimes the sheep will eat so much uh, grass that and they will lay down and um, I don't know the technical uh, term for it, but they can literally die because they, they, they lay on their side and then something happens to them internally. But the point is he was a shepherd watching out for the sheep, and the sheep didn't know any better. It wandered off, ate some grass, and it was a nice day out, laid down and thought, hey, this is great. Uh, the point is, the Lord is our good shepherd, and you know we should be thankful that he left us this letter from Paul to the Ephesians to encourage us, um, because we, we have a tendency to stray. Uh, we're human, uh, and so I just thank the Lord for that. Um, so the application for us, when we think about just all of what I said there, the application for us is, I mentioned it last week, maybe we need a, a, some correction, or um, I think I had mentioned in the Greek, it means a straightening up. Maybe as we go through these scriptures tonight, there's, there's something that in um, our doctrinal beliefs or what we read in the word or just the way we're living that the Lord is just saying, hey, I need to kind of straighten you up here, just as, as Paul, in, in a way, was straightening up the Ephesians by what he was encouraging them to do. And again, it can only be done by what we're doing here tonight. It can only be done by reading God's word, praying. And also, I think it's very important what, what you're doing tonight, um, what we do on Saturday morning at men's prayer, um, the women's study on Thursday, uh, sometimes the luncheons, whatever it might be, um, it's important for us as believers to put ourselves in positions where we can be or situations where we can be with or around God's people. And one of the scriptures that I always, um, I always love that I think kind of typifies this, uh, Proverbs twenty-seven seventeen says, iron sharpens iron so a man sharpens the countenance of his friend there's something to be said when we're with believers um, talking about the word hearing the word you know at a conference um, or a study there's something about being with believers that you know we can literally sharpen one another Um, so I think those are all very important applications so let's get into what Paul is asking and encouraging and exhorting the Ephesians to do. Um, I want to start by going to verse 20. Basically, verses 7 through 19 are one type of man that Paul is saying, we don't, I don't want you to be this type of person. And then he's going to contrast it with the type of person or the new man that he wants us to be. Um, so in verse 20, he, there's the but, and again, just in, in the language there, the but means that there is a contrast between two thoughts or two ideas, and, and that's why I just wanted to point to that. So, wh- and I don't want to spend too much time on it, but I think it's important to talk about the old man because it just reminds us of, of where we've come from. And, uh, you know, where we would never want to slip back into. So Paul says, This I say therefore, and you testify in the Lord, that ye henceforth walk not as the other Gentiles walk in the vanity 
of their mind. So again, obviously in Ephesus, you know, it's, it's like a lot of the, uh, the cities back in those times that, you know, there was a lot of wickedness, a lot of idolatry. So he's, he's telling these believers that he's writing to, he said, don't be and don't walk like the other Gentiles walk. He said, henceforth. So henceforth just means no longer. I no longer should you be walking. And again, we talked last week about uh, walking. What, did, what does that mean? It, it means what is your life occupied with in, in a sense. So he's saying, no more do I want you to be occupied as these Gentiles uh, walk. And then, he, and then and if we continue that in verse 18, he says, having the understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of Christ, through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart. So Paul is saying, you know, there's these Gentiles that are probably living in your city, Ephesus, and you were once one of them, but I don't want you to walk as they walk. And then he, he goes in and he starts to explain what it is that they do. And he, and he says that their understanding is darkened. Uh, darkened just means uh, to be obscure or, or not discovered. And, and the alienated there means to be a non-participant. Um, someone who's an uh, alien is a non-participant. And, and notice he says from the life of God. So these Gentiles were, were occupied with their lives in such a way that um, they were non-participants when it came to anything that had to do with God. So Paul, again, is saying, don't walk as those Gentiles walk. And then he says that they're ignorant, and, and then he explains why it is that they're ignorant. He says it's because of the blindness of their heart. And I want to just uh, spend a little bit of time and uh, develop this as far as the blindness. And again, immediately when I read all of these things, um, I try to read them always with the application, okay, Lord, what does this mean for, for my life? Because it's very easy for us to read these and say, well, these, these Gentiles in Ephesus, you know, um, it's very easy for us to be judgmental. But again, the scriptures are here for a reason. They're here to encourage us, to edify us. So... What is this blindness of their heart which caused them to be ignorant? What, what is that? In the Greek, it uh, literally says uh, stupidity or callousness, or callous, it says. Um, th- this part is very interesting to me because when, when I just read it, um, before I looked it up, you know, I think, okay, blind. They have a heart, they're blind, they, they can't see because they're not spiritual, so they don't have eyes to see but when you, when you dig in, callousness means a thickening of the outer skin. All of us, you know, have done yard work, uh, whatever you've done, hard, repetitive work, you get that, that callous, that outer skin gets thickened. And gen, in general, a callous forms due to repeated exercise, and often we see it again on the hands and, and feet, um, and essentially that outer skin, that callus, that part is rendered insensible. So, you, you know, if you have a callus on your finger, you maybe don't have the sensitivity that, you know, you, you should to other things because you have that callus. Um, and I, I know often if you play a musical instrument, you know, like a guitar and so forth, I've heard, 
um, in the beginning, it's very, it's very painful. But what you're going through is you're going through repeated steps of using those fingers, repeated exercise and use to the point where it's so repetitive that you build up calluses on your finger. Um, and why is this important? Because the word there says blindness of their heart. They had, their, their spiritual perception had become dulled, if we could say, on the outside. Uh, Adam Clark, uh, one of the commentators that I, I often look to, um, he was from the late uh, 1700s. He had said about this particular um, passage and, and regarding the blindness, he said, metaphorically, it's applied to the conscience of a sinner, which is rendered stupid and insensible by repeated actions of iniquity. Again, I think it's just very important. You, we can use a real-life example of how a callus forms. What, what Paul was saying there when he used the word in the original text is he's telling them, don't be like these Gentiles. They're ignorant. Their understanding is darkened, and it all, became, all happened because of the blindness or the callousness of their heart by the repetitive iniquity in the decisions that they were, that they were making. And then um, in verse 19, he says, again, referencing these Gentiles, who being past feeling have given themselves over to unto lasciviousness to work all uncleanness with greediness. So the past feeling there means apathy. So again, uh, they're callous, they're blind of heart, and they've got, they got to the point where their lives were, you know, very apathetic. They just, there, there was no feeling there. And they had given themselves over, um, given themselves over also takes upon the, the idea of surrendering. So they had just become very apathetic because of the repeated action and choice um, to not, uh, live a life of God and they were choosing iniquity over and over so they had surrendered themselves to um, this filthy and wantonous lifestyle so again Paul is telling the Ephesians after everything that he's told them the great promises and provisions of God in chapters 1 through 3 and then he talked about the gifts um, you know the gifts that we have, the body of Christ working together, the body growing up. Then he moves to this and he says, but I don't want you to be like these Gentiles, but this is who I want you to be. And this is where he talks about the new man. Uh, we read that in verses 21 through 24. Paul says, if so be that ye have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus, that ye put off concerning the former conversation the old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lust, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that ye put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. So again, we see the contrast. He, he explained the Gentiles, um, the other Gentiles, how they walk, because they were now believers, and that, that's who they were, but that's not who they were now. And then Paul is saying, this is who I want you to be. So he says that you, you, know, you have received the, the, and been taught the doctrines of Christ. Uh, have we not 
however long you've been in Christ, whether it's a day, a week, uh, a year, 10 years, 15 years, um, have we not been taught the doctrines of Christ, whether it's in our own personal reading, um, studies um, that you've listened to here? Um, you know, we, we have been taught um, by the Spirit of God that is living in us and through uh, other teachers and through our own reading. Um, and I think it's important, as Paul said, he was talking about the Ephesian believers, he said that you heard him and have been taught by him. Um, it always reminds me when, when, I, when I hear uh, about this and when I look at the scriptures, um, John 5.19 always comes uh, to my mind. And I'll just paraphrase it. I believe uh, it was earlier on in the chapter is when, when there was the man, um, the lame man at Bethesda, and uh, Jesus uh, was there, and the man says, I have no man to put me you know, in the water. And, and Jesus said, you know, arise and, and walk. And, and the gentleman got up, he was healed, he walked. And then a little bit later in the chapter, I don't know what the time span, but he saw him in the synagogue, and he said something to the man. And then the man went about telling the Jews, you know, who it was um, that did this. And then they, they confronted Jesus, and, you know, he said, I just do the work. You know, I do the same work that I see my father do. Um, and, you know, to them that was blasphemy. But um, this is the part I like. He, Jesus told them, he said, the son can do nothing of himself but what he sees the father do. For what things soever he doeth, these also doeth the son likewise. So the application I wanted to make there, again, referencing this to verse 21, where Paul is telling the Ephesians, you have heard him and have been taught him as the truth is in Jesus. If Jesus answered his accusers often, he said, I only do what I hear and what I see my father do. How well is it for us then to observe the, the pages, you know, the scriptures that we read and apply them, you know, if we could just follow what we read that Jesus did, um, we'd be a whole in a whole lot better place than we are. Um, and then um, to carry that point through in Ephesians 4.23, he talks about being renewed in the spirit of the mind. Um, and renewed there means to renovate, so... Uh, any of us can can appreciate whatever renovation you've ever done, but what what Paul is talking about is he's saying, listen, you need to have your mind renovated, renewed, and the way in which you think, and, and that goes in every area of their life. Um, he was encouraging them because um, we'll talk about this in a little bit, but they're they're new creatures in Christ. They're not walking like these other Gentiles walk that had hardness of heart and blindness of heart. They were new creatures. So he's saying, be renewed in the spirit of your mind. And this again, the spirit there isn't necessarily talking about Holy Spirit. It's just saying, be renewed in the, the, the person that you are and, and also in, in your mind. So we can only do this as we seek the Lord, as we pray, we spend devotion, we read his word. We cannot do it in our own strength, but the point is we need to have a transformation, if you will, a renovation of the way in which we think once we become believers, whether it be at the work site, uh, whether it be uh, with family, whatever it is, um, 
really our mind needs to be renewed and we need to, through the scriptures, again, through sharpening, uh, as iron sharpens iron, talking to a brother maybe, um, we need to have our mind renewed because we're new creatures and basically we are relearning um, what it is to be uh, the new man. Uh, Philippians one twenty seven, in respect to this, says, Only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ, that whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs, that ye stand fast in one spirit with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. I just I I picked that scripture because I I just thought it really. You know, let your conversation be as it becomes the gospel. How many of us, um, you know, we need to check what it is that we say before we say it. Is it becoming of the gospel? Is it edifying the person that is hearing it? I think I talked last week about um, uh, about love, you know, to speak the truth in love. It doesn't mean that you tell that person what they want to hear, but that you have concern for the soul of that person when you're speaking. Uh, Pastor Chuck was one of the best examples of this, is, you know, he was very deliberate in the way in which he would speak. And there's something to be said for the, for that, uh, just making sure that our speech is going to be edifying and that we're thinking uh, about it before we speak. You know, is this becoming to the gospel of Christ? Is this going to edify the person that is going to hear it? Um, and again, in Philippians there, if you see the same theme there. He says, stand fast in one spirit with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. And again, you see this throughout uh, Paul's different epistles as he's writing. He's constantly encouraging the church. Um, you know, sometimes he has to be uh, more firm, uh, correcting them, but he's always talking about edifying and that there is uh, one spirit and one body and that they're working uh, together for the furtherance of the gospel. So Paul talks about putting on the new man in verse uh, 24, and that you put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. So, how do we put on the new man? Um, the put on in the actual Greek, uh, one of the uh, one of the uh, renderings is to clothe, uh, array, or a sense of sinking into a garment. Literally, to put a garment on, um, which helps me. Again, I need real practical, real simple um, explanations. You know, putting on the new man. This, you know. This is, this is what Paul means. He said, we are supposed to, it's like we become a Christian and the way we think now in our heart, we have to, we, we have to put on this, this clothing. We have to put on something totally new and we have to, um, you know, be thinking different. And obviously it, it comes with the connotation of putting on that we have a new nature. We have a heart change. Um, and it, 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. And again, we, we can't ever forget these scriptures. We get busy in our lives. We get saved. We're serving the Lord. We're seeking the Lord. But, you know, I think it's good to remember where 
we came from. We are new creatures. Um, and again, this is, this is the thought Paul's talking about. He said, you're new creatures, Ephesian believers. Put on the new man. Don't walk like the Gentiles. The other Gentiles walk. Don't walk like them. But this is what I want you to do. I want you to put on the new man. Clothe yourself in, in, in the way your heart and, and your thinking. Clothe yourself in Christ and, and be a new creature. So we, we see the therefore. Paul is saying, because of everything that I told you in chapter 4, unity, one body, the gifts, now this is what I want you to do. And then he gives us a contrast. Don't walk like the other Gentiles walk, but I want you to put on the new man. So he develops that there with the contrast. Then we get to uh, verse 25. And here, now Paul practically tells them what it is that he wants them to stop doing or conversely, what it is he wants them to do. Now, again, I, I don't know in, in my study, and I didn't and go to that depth, I don't know necessarily that the Ephesian church was, you know, uh, as a whole struggling with this. But the, the point is, Paul felt it needful to, after he laid all of this out, to tell them this is as putting on the new man, this is what I want you to put away, this is what I want you to be doing. Uh, verse 20, uh, let's see, 25. Uh, Wherefore, putting away lying, speak every man truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Um, so, obviously, when I, when I read this, I'm like, well, you know, very shortly after I got saved, I mean, lying was one of the things that I was just convicted of, like, Yes, I'm a Christian, I don't lie. But, you know, Paul, again, felt it necessary. There, there, there's a reason that he was inspired to write this to the Ephesians. He said, put away lying and speak every, uh, with every neighbor uh, truth. And I just, again, if you think about the whole theme, Paul talks about one body, right? Unity, the body working together, the growing together. Obviously, I think in context, you know, Paul's saying, you know, we should never lie to anybody. But in context, what I believe Paul is speaking to, because he's talking to the Ephesian believers here, he's saying, listen, don't, you know, you're one body. Don't be lying one uh, to another. Speak uh, truth to your brother. Um, Barnes, uh, who I had mentioned last week, another commentator that I use a lot, when I when I went to because I, I was kind of having a hard time wrapping my head around this because I'm like you know very simple of course don't lie but um, the the reason that um, what Barnes says is he said falsehood loosens the bonds of brotherhood um, so I think that's specifically why the Lord had um, Paul write this to the Ephesians and again I don't know if the Ephesian church or uh, if it was rampant that there was lying. But the point is, I think that the, the deeper point there is, you know, he, he wants the fellowship to be united, uh, wants them to grow. So he's saying there can't, there can't be falsehood between the brothers because that's, that's going to break, that's going to loosen that bond. I, I believe that uh, is why he, he wrote that. And then in verse 26, he says, Be ye 
angry and sin not, let not the sun go down upon your wrath. And I'm sure we, we all know that one. Um, many of us, you know, who are married, I know um, Pastor Mike had mentioned last Sunday, he had, he had talked about early on in, the, in his marriage uh, that they had, you know, they had committed that they were never going to let, you know, the sun go down on their wrath. But again, in context here, as, as we read all of this, and remember that Paul wrote this to the Ephesians, in context here, he's saying, listen, you're members one of another. Each of you are working together that the body of Christ would, would grow. He's saying you cannot let anger get in between you. He's not saying it won't happen. He's just saying be angry and sin not, and, and don't let the sun go down upon your wrath. And again, I think it's a, it's a great scripture that we should never, um, you know, whoever it is that that we we've got anger uh, towards, we should we should always um, you know try to settle it immediately. But again, in context, if you follow the theme here, uh, I, I believe Paul is saying, listen, the body you ca- you can't have. I think I mentioned last uh, Wednesday the schism. You know, having a. a you, you don't want to have a schism in the body. You don't want to have a break. Well, you know, if you've got a lot of anger between uh, brothers and sisters, you're going to have that. And, and I believe that that's why Paul's saying, again, pointing back to the Gentiles that were walking however they wanted to because of the blindness of their heart, they probably were going about and they weren't concerned about their neighbor, uh, whether they were lying, uh, whether they were angry with them. They were living, you know, the way they wanted to because, remember, they were alienated from the life of God. But Paul's saying, it's not so. You're putting on the new man. Don't be angry um, and don't let the, the sun go down on your wrath. And then he talks about uh, laboring. He says, let him that stole steal no more, but rather let him labor working with his hands the thing which is good that he may have to give to him that needeth. Now again, he, he says here, let him that stole steal no more. In context, I, I don't know if it was a problem with Ephesians, but he says, but rather, the contrast is he said, let him labor, work with his hands. And, and I love this. Look at the end there. He said, okay, no stealing, but I want you to labor. I want you to work that you might be able to give to him that needs. You know, so there, again, taking care of those um, in the body of Christ that maybe had needs. And he said, you know, don't steal anymore. You're put, you've put on the new man. You're, you're not walking as the, uh, the vain Gentiles at that time walk. You're a new person, so you need to labor. And with the labor that you do, uh, you know, as, as God provides, you're, you can give help to those that are in need. Uh, verse 29, he says, Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. So again, if you look at each one of these Verses here, uh, 28 and 29, he's got a contrast within the verse. He's saying, okay, don't, don't have any corrupt communication, but now that you are a new man, this is what I want you to do. It should be for the, uh, the use of edifying that it may minister grace unto the hearers. Isn't that a beautiful thing? Again, if we are 
asking the Lord to take captive of our thoughts, to work in our heart, um, you know, then, then the words, you know, that we speak to others um, can minister grace because, uh, you know, they're, they're filtered through the lens of Christ and they're not just us rambling off, you know, whatever comes to our mind, but they're, they're ministering to others. And then he uh, says in verse 30, he says to the Ephesians, he says, And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. Um, I, I love the fact that, uh, I don't know if I mentioned this last week, but that we are sealed unto the day of redemption. Second um, Corinthians one twenty two says, referring to Christ who hath sealed us and given us the earnest of the Spirit in our hearts. I mean, literally, the Lord Jesus, when he ascended, he said he was leaving us, uh, the Paracletes, the helper. That was his down payment. He said, Father, here is the down payment on everyone that accepts my blood for the remission of their sins. They're sealed and this is this is what I'm giving them. I'm giving them the Holy Spirit. Uh, Ephesians one. Uh, if I go back to Ephesians one thirteen and fourteen, um, Paul says when he's talking to Ephesians, and he says, "In whom ye also trusted, after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. In whom also after that you believed, you were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise." which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession unto the praise of his glory. So again, the, the wonderful promise is that we are sealed until the day of redemption as we see in verse 30. But Paul's saying, you, you've been sealed, okay? You've got the, the Holy Spirit. And he says, don't grieve the Holy Spirit. And he doesn't list specifically what he's talking about, but in general, uh, you know, he's just saying, this is a wonderful thing. You, you're sealed until the day that, that Christ is coming for you. You know, don't by your, your actions, by your, by your talk, by your thoughts, um, don't grieve the Holy Spirit. Um, and then uh, verse 31, he is uh, telling us to put away, uh, what, I, what I put here is to put away worldly ways of treating and reacting uh, to one another. Verse 31, he says, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And then he encourages the believers. And again, the application for us is the Lord is speaking to us also. He's saying in our relationships, uh, and especially those with the body of Christ, we've got to get rid of bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking. But this is what Paul says to the Ephesians, and this is what the Lord is telling us, how our relationships, the model should be. He says, and be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. Um. You know, we've been forgiven much. Uh, I remember uh, in the Gospels when, there, when um, there was the lady, I think, that was caught in adultery, and, and the Lord said, you know, uh, she loves much because she's been forgiven much. 
uh, we've been forgiven. Um, we can't even describe in words what we've been forgiven. Um, should we not, uh, especially the body of Christ, should we not be willing uh, to forgive much um, because we've been forgiven much? Um, Matthew eighteen twenty two says, uh, when, when uh, Jesus was asked, I think it was Peter said to him, you know, you know, about forgiving someone, and he says, not seven, but 70 times seven. The point is, we need to always be ready um, to be forgiving um, to one another because, you know, we've been forgiven, you know, very much. And we continue to walk with Christ, but we continue to sin daily. We continue to need to ask for his forgiveness. So we should have that, that spirit, that, that thought, that, that mind, that heart to, to want to be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another. This, this is what we should be. And again, if we follow, um, if I can say it this way, the recipe that Paul has in the new man, and then verses 25 through 32, a short list of what he's saying, don't do this, but do this. If we follow that, then we are going to be, the body is going to be working together. Um, and again, we're not perfect, we're going to sin. But if, if we follow this and we have the right heart, we're going to have a body um, that is growing um, and nurturing um, you know, one another. So... As, as we look at last week's study, connecting chapters 1 through 3 with Paul talking about the gifts in the body and now moving into the segment this week where Paul says because of the gifts and the unity and, and the body nourishing one part nourishing another, this is the type of man that I want you to be, the type of person in Christ I want you to be. You know, what, what is the application um, the application is, again, we, we are new creatures in Christ. We've been given a new spirit. We've been born again. Uh, Paul developed this in chapters 1 through 3. We've got the remission of sins. We were chosen before the foundation of the world. We have uh, a, a wonderful inheritance. Because of all of this, we should as we spoke about last week in verse 16, we should, as the body of Christ, with our gifts, be nourishing one another and thereby the body will grow. And then in this segment, what, what Paul is, is teaching the Ephesians, exhorting them to do, is he's saying, listen, you need to, you, you were Gentiles, you were walking like these other Gentiles were walking, but this is the man I want you to be. This is the person in Christ I want you to be. And then he talks about renewing the mind. And then he gives specific. So our thoughts, I just uh, captured a few things here in closing. So we put on this new man. How do we put on, the, uh, on this new man? Well, again, being here on a Wednesday night, whether it's uh, men's prayer it's Saturday, whether it's your own uh, time uh, daily, when we're in the word, when we're asking the Lord to search our hearts and he's speaking to us, we have the Holy Spirit. The Lord, the Lord told us he was going to speak to us. We have the comforter. Uh, he's going to speak to us. Then, you know, our, our heart's desire, again, I, I take you back to John 5.19. Jesus told the Pharisees, um, the religious leaders, he said, I only do 
what I see the Father do. I only say what I hear the Father say. And again, isn't that a wonderful picture for us? If, if I was Jesus, I probably, uh, knowing my flesh and my, I probably would have said, you know, something uh, very inappropriate, like, you know, look at me, this is why you should listen to me. No, he pointed to the Father and he said, I do what the, I see the Father do, I, I say what I hear the Father say. So we need to ask the Lord that, we have it all over scriptures, uh, what Jesus uh, said and the inspired word through the different writers um, we need to make God's word our word. It needs to be, go deep into our heart, and as it, as it gets in our heart, it will transform our mind. We also need to be cognizant of our action and our interactions with the body of Christ. Paul just laid it out again. Um, go back on your own and, and read that, that list and, and study it. He, he tells the Ephesian believers what it is, that he wants them to do, what it is as Christians they should be doing, the actions that he wanted them to take, and the interactions with the body of Christ. So um, that's the application for us. And then lastly, I had, uh, you know, just thinking about being sealed in the day of redemption and just our position in Christ. Um, I, uh, I apologize, I actually... I had all my notes done, so I had to do a quick screenshot. Um, I, I wanted to read 1 Corinthians 6, verse 20. And again, in context, this is talking about, um, talking about the Corinthians and um, you know, sexual sin and, and Paul saying, your body's not your own. Um, but I just felt it very important that we read this because to sum it up, Paul tells him, for you are bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. So we were bought with a price, right? We were bought with a price that we, we read about it, we try to understand it, uh, we know that he shed his blood, we know he took upon the wrath and sin of the world, but we still don't really, can't comprehend it this side of heaven. But we were bought with a price. And as, as the scripture in Corinthians says, we are not our own anymore. We're bondservants. I mean, we accepted the Lord. We said, Lord, come into my life. We are a new creature. We are no longer our own. Just as Paul was telling the Corinthians, listen, your body's not your own. Our body is not our own. Our heart and mind and intellect, everything should be surrendered to the Lord because we, we were bought, we were sealed with a very, very expensive price that we cannot even imagine. So we should be the bondservants of Christ. And, and I just think if we really bathe um, these particular scriptures in prayer, our daily walk with the Lord, um, and just remember what it is that he did, that um, we are to be bondservants and ask him to renew our mind. Ask him that we can practice what we have read and apply this to our life in, in, in our local body right here, Calvary Chapel of Appleton. Find, our, find out uh, what your gift is. Uh, find out where you should be using that. Uh, remember, you know, bring um, every thought captive, bring it under the control of Christ, and, and, and in word and deed, whatever you do, 
uh, with your brothers and sisters and what, whatever type of interactions you have with them. It's to n bring nourishment to them. It's to bring edifying. And thereby, this body will grow, will grow strong. That's what Paul was writing to the Ephesians. He, he was writing to the Ephesian believers that he spent time with that he taught, that came to Christ, and he's writing a letter back while he was imprisoned to encourage them. Um, so let's, let's take this scripture as encouragement for us. Um, and as I said, if down the road the Lord wills, um, at some time we'll probably finish chapter 5 and 6 also, where Paul continues um, this, this theme of one body and the giftings and the new man, and he goes on to different relationships in the body of Christ, and he's saying, this is what I want you to do. So we certainly aren't done. This isn't exhaustive. Um, and like I said, maybe if the Lord wills at some time in the future, we'll go through chapters 5 and 6 together. Uh, let's look to the Lord. Father God, as we come, Lord, tonight, I just thank you for your scriptures. I know that, Lord, when I read uh, the scriptures, they're encouraging. At the same time, uh, Father, in my own will, in my own desire to want to um, follow what you have laid out with Paul's letter to the Ephesians, I, I just know that I cannot do it. It's only by the, the power of the Holy Spirit that you've left in us, Lord. And I just pray that we wouldn't have that blindness of heart in any way, Lord. Sometimes it's not an easy thing to surrender, but I pray that we can surrender our hearts, our minds, our intellect, our will, Lord, and that you can uh, work through us, that we can find our giftings, that we can uh, use them in service to bring nourishment to other parts of the body, that we can follow these very clear steps of putting on the new man, clothing ourselves in Christ. Father, um, we just we give you all praise and glory. We, we, we pray for our pastor as he's uh, returning. We pray that you would uh, refresh him and... Um, for Sunday, that he would be healthy, that he'd uh, be uh, alert, and um, that you'd speak to him on the message that you want uh, to bring to this body to encourage us, Father. And we give you this night and pray for all of the thanksgivings. And I pray, Lord, for everyone here, everyone listening, um, maybe together with family, friends, people that they prayed for, want to be a wonderful thanksgiving for that person that's hearing this, that would have a family member or a friend come to Christ. Um, you know, we couldn't be thankful, more thankful for anything other than our own salvation than that. So bless uh, the teaching of your word. Um, bless these people, Lord, for coming out, for those listening, and, and just pray, let you encourage them, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen.